I'll just say it straight up. Movement saved my life. Mm. I battled with depression as a kid. And then that depression sort of manifested itself into an addiction. I was totally in the throes of substance abuse from the age of 12 to about 23. This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I am your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we provide content around the integration of holistic mental health, well-researched evidence-based education, and parenthood. Welcome. Michael, Michael, welcome to the show, man. I'm so stoked that you're on, decided to be on and, and to be part of this conversation and to jump on the podcast of Therapy for Dads. Before we jump into the topic, though, like, how's your day going? <laughs> Where are you at right now? Where am I at? My day is winding down. It has been... A pretty intense day so far. I was on a red eye, lots of turbulence, landed at 6.15 in the morning, got to my car in New York City, drove two and a half hours up to my office in Hudson, New York, and I've been working all day on the computer, and I took a nice little walk this afternoon, and I've been looking forward to this conversation to sort of end cap my work day, and then I'm going to go home and see my wife and kids that I haven't seen in 48 hours. I'm excited to see them. Yeah. And I bet they are, I bet they are too, to see, to see dad come home, right? Uh, I'd hope so. You know, how, how are they greeting you these days when they haven't seen you in a while, your kids? Are they like, dad, dad's home and running a jump and hug you or what are they doing? You know, so, well, if, if it's longer than a, just, if it's like a normal day at work, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't run to the door and scream, daddy, daddy, daddy. But if it's longer than day, mm-hmm. I get a grand welcome. It's mm. lots of dad, lots of dad. I missed you. I love you. Big hugs, big kisses. And then they always say, what did you bring home for us? <laughs> <laughs> so there's, oh, okay. So there's yeah. a, uh, uh, yeah, they're looking for, they're looking for presents. There's, you know, they're looking for presents. There's, there's something. So you've developed a, what's the, a ritual, right? Of return when you've been gone longer than a day? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I would say every three times I come home with some kind of, you know, gift for them and they would love it if it was every time. But, you know, nice. <laughs> well, yeah, you've had a, you've had a long 48 hours and, and I'm, I'm stoked for you as a, as a dad as well for you to be able to get home to your family. Um, but you said something earlier and, and those that don't know, we met through social media. Um, you know, I've, I've touted this on social media. There's a lot of things that I, I think are not so healthy in social media for different reasons, but a lot of cool things is meeting incredible people like Michael and reaching out and connecting and seeing that other people care about men and fathers and want to help from their area of expertise and their own story. And so something you said, which is the topic of today, is that you went for you went for a walk after some of your work day and then sat down for this conversation. And so that walk is movement. And that is the topic of today, the power of of movement, of physical movement. So can you can you talk a bit about your journey on this I this of, of movement? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean I'll just say it straight up. Movement saved my life. I battled with depression as a kid, and then that depression sort of manifested itself into an addiction to, I, I basically, I, I, was, I, was, I was totally in the throes of substance abuse from the age of 12 to about 23. And, mm-hmm. you know, and at first that, you know, that, that the discovery for me at, at a young age was probably saved my life actually Mm. because it was something that I could actually dive into I felt safer I felt safer in my own skin when I found drugs and alcohol and for a while it worked really well and then Mm. it didn't you know and then it became a real problem 
what helped me come out of that about 19 years ago, I'll be celebrating 19 years in recovery in about a week and a half. I was introduced to movement, to fitness. I mean, obviously, I was introduced to a, a community of people in the world of recovery. So I owe my life to that really first and foremost, right? Like I think community is a very, very big deal for anybody struggling with anything, mm. uh, good, good or bad. You can find communities in bad places too, you know, that tends to be somewhat of an, of a, of a, of a, of a thing, mm-hmm. but uh, community in, in, in opening doors for me has been sort of a, a typically a, a first step, right? Like finding a community um, of people that you can identify with. And that ultimately was the you know, the sober community for me when I when I first made the decision to change. And then very quickly, I was introduced to a couple of guys who were passionate about movement. And they said, All right, man, you're, you know, you're 23 years old, you got a lot of life left ahead of you, we're going to teach you a new way to live. And Mm -hmm. it really involved, it involved fitness and nutrition. And then ultimately, mindfulness practices, spirituality, stuff like that. But but it really did start with movement for me. And so I would just tell anybody listening to the podcast or, you know, it doesn't matter if, 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 if addiction or, or, you know, if that's not part of your story, I, I, I strongly believe in my heart of hearts that movement, it might not be the, the absolute solution, mm-hmm. but I could guarantee you from my experience that movement is certainly part of the story mm-hmm. of, of, of freedom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and hearing that bit of your story, you know, briefly, that where you came from, that even, you know, a little sidestep that even finding the use of addiction things was the way you found safety at 12. And that was kind of, you found, a, my guess is a community of people or something doing that, which enabled you to have some sense of agency and control from an environment that wasn't so safe. And hearing it said that way, you don't hear that very often of people framing it that way of, actually, I felt safer here than I did here. And then through that story, obviously, we come to movement. But can you speak a little bit about that, kind of that safety in the, in the addiction or versus how it was, whether your other environments, like a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah. You know, so I, I think, you know, I, I had some I had a pretty traumatic childhood that involved a very, very challenging relationship with my father. My father was, you know, he wasn't diagnosed because he didn't. He never went to a facility that would have diagnosed him. He refused to go into any kind of treatment. Mm. But my father was was most likely bipolar, and then as he got older, I believe paranoid schizophrenic. Mm. His sister is 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 paranoid schizophrenic in her seventies. She like she had now she had a nervous breakdown, and she is she is basically dealing with a severe case of, mm. of, uh, of schizophrenia. Mm. And so I would I I think that my father probably had a, a similar mental health stuff. But unfortunately, he did, he he was not on any medication for it. And it was projected pretty much onto me. And so my father and I fought a lot from when I was a very young kid. And so, you know, I did not feel safe in my in my own home. I did not feel safe in my own home. I was an escape artist from as early as I can remember. I was always trying to stay at my friend's houses. And then, you know, when I was 12 years old, I really wanted to get his attention. I did not want to die. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make a big enough, I wanted to throw my flag in the ground that I wanted attention and help. And so I cut my wrists in front of my father Mm. and um, I didn't get the response that I was hoping for. He kicked the shit out of me. Mm. And then at that point, the child services were involved and, 
you know, I was admitted to pain winning mental institution in New York City to get evaluated. And I told them emphatic, emphatically that like, it, this was not this was not me trying to commit suicide. This was trying this is me trying to tell my father, like, I've had enough. Hmm. And I, I want I want love from you. And, and I'm not getting it. And maybe this will maybe this will shake the tree enough to have you give me a hug and tell me you love me. Wow. But but ultimately, it didn't. Wow. And so I kind of I was really sad. You know, I was like, I was a sad, it was a sad time in my life. And I found a group of kids that were a little bit older than me. And they're, you know, I'd already been smoking cigarettes at that point and they were smoking weed and then very quickly doing other drugs that I honestly, I felt like, mm. holy smokes, wait, I, I don't have to think about this part of my life all the time now. Mm. Now I can actually like... It was a self-medication, yeah. you know, like and relief um, a bit. yeah, it was yeah. relieving for sure. Yeah. Because not only did I feel like a relief from my own mental, from my own thoughts, but I also was, was with people that were also medicating, mm. you know, and it was fun for everyone. Yeah. And it was a lot of kids that were struggling that had, you know, tough home situations. And so for, you know, probably five or six years, it was like, it, it really did a good job. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not trying to promote it. No, here. no. And what, well, what I'm hearing is it helped you survive. Like you said, it yeah. got, it got you to, I'm not hearing promotion. What I'm hearing is a, a kid looking for something outside of threat and harm and found it in, which happens uh, in your case in another community and happened to be also using drugs, which the reality is it does have elation and euphoria. So that's going to feel much better and distract from all the pain. So that makes to, to me as a, not just as a, as a person, yes, I'm also a therapist, but as a person, I'm like, it makes sense that my heart goes out. Like, yeah, I can only imagine a 12 year old kid. Like, what do you do? Like, I got to get out of here. So this, this feels better. So to me, it makes sense. I'm not hearing you promote it at all, man. I'm hearing this like authenticity of like, this is what it did for me at the time. Yeah. And I needed something. And this, this community provided something that I needed that I wasn't getting here that I should have yeah. had. So I, yeah, I can't even imagine like that's, yeah, you found something. Yeah, I found it and it worked mm -hmm. and I hung my hat on it for a while. And then unfortunately it stopped working, you know, it stopped working in that. But at that point I was already relying mm. on it. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, imagine, you know, walking with a cane for five, six years that really helped, you know, kept you, kept you up. Like you knew you'd lean on that cane and you weren't going to fall. That cane was holding you mm -hmm. up and you were like, Oh, thank God I've got this cane. I, you know, I've, 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 I've been falling for a while. Now I got the cane to hold me up. And then all of a sudden five years in the cane just stops holding you up, you know? And so you still have the cane cause you think it's still going to hold you up, but really you just keep falling mm -hmm. and falling. And, and that was kind of like what it felt like after, you know, in my late teens and early twenties, you know, it was a cane didn't work anymore. I found a bigger cane, mm. the bigger cane didn't work anymore. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a do or die mm. period of time for about three years for me, where I was really struggling with trying to come out of that lifestyle. And I knew that I, I knew that it was, you know, friends of mine were, were, were dying around mm. me. And I knew that it was like, it wasn't an, if it was a, when or change, and, and so I, I, I got very lucky and it's so interesting, you know, I was actually writing a blog post about because this time of year for me, July 20, you know, between July 20th and, and August 2nd, this was the darkest, the darkest few weeks of my mm -hmm. life 19 years ago. This was like the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. This is when it was hot in New York mm -hmm. City. I had, I was hopeless. I was, I had zero respect for myself, mm -hmm. zero self-care, self-love and at the same time, zero interest in anything 
aside from myself, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like unbelievable selfishness, but with zero self-esteem. And it was a really hard time. So I get a little kind of funky right now, just in general, yeah. because I do kind of go back there and I'm like, wow, like I, the, the guy that you're talking to right now is the same human being as that person was, but like when I, like worlds of different mm. character traits today, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, with that said, I appreciate you even having this conversation during this this kind of anniversary, so to speak. It's a funky time because there is a there is a fair amount of reflection, but it's not actually a it's not a hard okay. time. It's a um, it's a it's a it's a it's a real time of gratitude mm. for me. Like I really get deep into yeah. reflection, but also it the ramifications of that reflection is immense yeah. gratitude for what I've where I know I was. It's not like it's not a story that I've written. It really happened, yeah. and to where I am yeah. now. Right. And so I guess the, 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 the message there is holy smokes, mm. anyone can change. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a powerful message. Anyone can change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so with that, I'm wondering, you, you're in this dark phase 19 years ago, uh, and you're painting a very visceral picture, hot in New York. I mean, I'm, I was even getting a sense of like, okay, you're struggling. And so how did you get from there to getting into, you know, cause you got to movement, but there was, you did some other movement to get to the movement that we're going to, that you're going to talk more about. But how did you get from that point to like, what did something click? Like what happened of that shift of view of like, I need to now get, get help or do something different. Cause what I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I had, it, I had been playing this tape in my head for a while at this point. Right. Like it was like, all right, man, you're going to either change, like, the, you know, the conversation in my head was basically like, all right, man, is today going to be mm-hmm. the day or are you going to take another risk? You know, like, Oh, is today going to be the day? Or are you going to run the risk of losing it all or dying? You know, like, and so I was, that was, that tape was like kind of on repeat in my head at this time, 19 years yeah. ago. Like I knew that it was like a very pivotal moment. It was either I was going to OD and die because I had, I had already OD'd and it was very close or I was going to make the change. Mm-hmm. And I, it was, it was a Monday, August 2nd, not very different than most Days that I, you know, most days I'd be up until eight o'clock in the morning from the night before, you know, on drugs and alcohol with people. This day happened to be, I think, I I think it was like a 48 hour run. Mm. I was not ready to stop. I knew I had work. I had to, I was, I I worked in a restaurant. So I had work that Monday and the guys that I was with had said, we're calling it a night Mm. and I wasn't ready to call it. But they left and I made my made my way. We were on the roof of my apartment building. I made my way down to my apartment and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror. I was disgusted with myself. The thought of suicide really was very, very prevalent in my mind at that moment. I remember sitting on the floor of my bedroom contemplating like what would be a dramatic way to go out mm. so that people would feel bad for me or people would feel mm. for me. I wanted people to feel for me. You know, I hadn't had that in a long time. And uh, I passed out. I passed out. And I passed out for 16 hours. I slept right through work. I woke up late that night. It was probably 8 o'clock in the morning. So it was probably whatever it was, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning the next day. And I knew that was it. That was it. I, my job, my, I knew I had lost my job. I was positive that I was going to lose my job. Um, my boss actually at the time was integral in helping me get sober. He, he fired me and then he made me an ultimatum about getting sober. And I knew that it was coming. And, um, so I had, you know, I had that, I was disgusted with myself, 
but I knew. And there was like this little moment of grace where I just, I felt like I had the courage to go Mm. and ask for help. And so I called the right person and the right person was dating one of the two guys that would really come to my rescue and help me find Mm. a life of better. And uh, I reached out to Karen. Mm. She was sober. She was like an older sister to me who had taken me in, but she was also Mm. an addict and an alcoholic for years. And, you know, but she had introduced, she, she called her boyfriend Marcus at the time and said, Hey, I've got an, I've got a friend who really could use some help. And so he came to my apartment, showed up and I had, you know, we had that morning went out for a cup of Mm. coffee and he said, you gotta go to, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, gotta go to a meeting, Mm. man. You gotta, this is, you know, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you that there's an easy way here, you know, like you're just going to have to succumb. And I did. And he saw that I was doing it. And so he started to spend more time with me. And then he took me to a Muay Thai kickboxing gym. He was a, he was a competitive Muay Thai fighter. And he said, this is the deal, man. And it was him and this other guy, Gavin, and they were both like 10 years older than me. But for whatever reason, these guys took a liking to me and I got very lucky. I was the, I was the beneficiary of their kindness and, and I was also ready. I was ready, right? Like there's not, there's no, they didn't do, they didn't force me to do anything. They didn't make me Mm. do anything. I was ready for receiving what they had to offer at that time in my life. And I was Mm. lucky for that because I can't remember another time when I felt I was like ready, like I was then. And so I can't tell you exactly what mm. it was that made me feel that courage or have the courage. But I will tell you that there was, you know, it, it wasn't possible without mm. some courage. And uh, and and they they said, all right, so you're going to this is what you're going to do. You're going to wake up as early as you, as you can. And that could be five o'clock in the morning or that could be nine o'clock in the morning. But we just want you to wake up as early as you can. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to ask the universe for help. That could be God. That could be Jesus. That could be Allah. That could be whatever you want it to be. But you're just going to ask for help because you don't know how to ask for help. You haven't been able to ask for help in a long time. So if you can ask for help first thing in the morning from a power that you can't describe, that could be a great way to, to get you into the habit of asking for help mm. from others. So you ask for help first thing in the morning, then you're going to go for a walk or a run. Ideally, you're taking a jog. That jog could be a block. It could be two blocks. It could be a mile. It could be 10 miles. But we want you to pray and then we want you to go take a run. And then when you're done with that run, we want you to have a big fat bowl of oatmeal. And then we want you to go to a meeting and, 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 and you know, start connecting with other people in recovery and then come straight mm-hmm. to the gym and we're going to kick your ass and we're going to teach you how to be, how to be, uh, how to have some integrity and some, we're going to start to help you build confidence and we're going to teach you how to get knocked down, but, but get back up and, and, and then you're going to have lunch and you're going to go home. You're going to take a nap and then you're going to go to work and you're going to work and you're going to try to go to bed as early as you can. And you're going to rinse and repeat and you can do that over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And that's what started my journey. And I became obsessed with yeah. being better. And it really did. You know, the beauty of movement is it's something that you can control. And once you make the decision to do it, you've won. You've won already. Once you've made the decision to do it, you've won. So even if you you make the decision and you get out there and you don't go as far as you had planned to go, mm. you've won because you've accomplished uh, you've mm. accomplished something that you committed to. Be it even just for you know a short term commitment, you said this is something I'm going to do. You go do it. Now you've committed. That's a win, and it feels good. And ultimately, the those that commitment just grew and grew mm. and grew for me. 
And, you know, I ended up competing in Muay Thai, I ended up running marathons. I was, you know, I, I became passionate about bodybuilding and I, I, I got a, I mean, I became a pro bodybuilder, you know. So like movement is a massive part of my mental health medicine. It is my mental yeah. health medicine, along with a lot of self-development work that I've done over the years. And um, obviously the community in recovery, I'm nothing without without my recovery, my sobriety. Yeah. So it's really it really kicked off everything that you had yeah. this moment. And I've I've heard stories too that you know, we always try to identify what was that moment. But a couple of things that stood out to me was one, you got to this place of readiness, whatever that looked like. And it's different for every person. And then you had people around you that was I think key that you had someone to call and then they met you where you were. And that stood out to me in your story. And then you began basic movement and doing little things, little changes and consistency, creating a habit, and did that over and over and over again. And that was kind of like the beginning. And and it sounds like your movement, it, it, it started in one way, but now it's expanded in so many different ways from, you know, 19 years ago to, you know, the, who Michael is today. And now for a short break. So if you're looking for ways to support the show and my YouTube channel, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash therapy for dads. There you can make a one-time donation or join the monthly subscription service to support all that I'm doing at the intersection of fatherhood and mental health. And all the proceeds go right back into all the work that I'm doing into production, into continue to grow the show to bring on new guests. So again, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash therapy for dads. Thanks. And let's get back to the show. And so I'm wondering with movement, how has movement, you know, looking at your journey from how you started and you, you kind of sprinkled in some other things you've been doing now. And I'm wondering how is, what does movement do maybe specifically for you as a man from day to day? How does it impact you as, as a father, you know, and, and how do you, how does it help you navigate and take care of your kind of holistic mental health? That's necessarily mental illness, but your, your health, your level of health. What are you seeing it practically day-to-day -day do for you? Well, I think if you really peel it back and sort of try to understand some core primal accomplishments or, or acknowledgements for hundreds of thousands, however long we've been standing on two feet, we were designed mm -hmm. to move. We were not designed to sit. We were not designed to be sedentary beings. We were designed to move, right? Like it's just that simple. And so we, for thousands of years, we correlate movement to life, right? Like if you didn't move 50,000 years ago, you're dead. You're going to get eaten by the yeah, saber toothed yeah. tigers, you know? And so there's a real, there's a real sort of this, this like mental core, this, uh, this like mental that has been ingrained, I believe. And this is sort of like a philosophy of mine, but I've, I've really tried to understand and dissect why the dopamine and serotonin is so strong on a run, for instance. Why am I, why do I feel a sense of euphoria almost? The thought of going for a run, so that's the dopamine. Building building up the anticipation of, of like, okay, I'm going to go for this run. It's going to be a five-mile five run. Starting to feel my body begins, the nervous system, you know, kicks on. Borderline fight or flight, you know, you're in that spot. And then you're there, and then you're out, and you're doing it. And you've, you've won. You're, 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 you're in the act of, 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 of running, uh, for me, you know, that's one of my favorite ways to move. And it's a primal feeling yeah. of, of joy. You know, it's, I think it's, I think it's something that has been hardwired mm -hmm. into our makeup to want to move and 
appreciate what that movement does for us, even biologically, you know. And so I think there's, a, there's not only a science component to it, but there's also an, an ego esteem component to it, right? And the ego could also be what prevents us from going. The ego could be like, mm. you don't need to do that. That's not, no, you, 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 you've already done it. You've done enough today. Like you're, you've worked hard. You've, you know, you've got a lot of email, you bank, like that could be the ego mm. in your way. And then, you know, for me, what's really sort of kicked my ego in the butt because my ego is definitely not something that I want to completely get rid of. Cause I do, you know, I think ego does carry some, some weight in, in, in the positive mm-hmm. life that I lead today. But, you know, for years, my ego really did try to suppress my ability to push as hard as I felt like I needed to push to accomplish mm-hmm. what I wanted to get. Sometimes my ego would tell me, you know, that that's that other voice that says, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to. It's OK. You know, mm-hmm. you can have that. You deserve that. You deserve that extra scoop of <laughs> of chocolate, you know, smooth <laughs> tracks. So, you know, I think I think uh, movement ha- weighs so, so so heavy on my mental Mm -hmm. health, you know, and I can tell you that for sure, because I am dealing with a case of sciatica right now that I've been dealing with for six, seven weeks. It's gotten a lot better. I could, I mean, thank gosh for that, but Mm. it's taken me out. I'm, I I have not been able to move like I like to move. I have not gone on a run Mm. in almost two months. I am not lifting heavy weights, which I love to do. It, it's, it's put me in a, in a position as to really, really, like do some Hmm. searching and some, Hey man, like it's really powerful how much Hmm. movement means to me as a man, a father, I'm a better person when I'm moved, when I'm, when Hmm. I'm consistently moving, I just am. And I'm not saying that now in the last six weeks, I've been a bad (laughs) dude, (laughs) but I'm, I'm here to say that like, and, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's been a really interesting time for me in this, in this, because I'm totally, I'm, I'm, I've come to terms with this idea that like, Hey man, it's amazing when you can do it. You need to be unbelievably grateful for the many, many years you've had being able to do whatever you want in movement. But it's also your body is right now telling you something as well, which is it's also okay hmm. to slow down. Man. It sounds like wisdom is kicking in. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to slow down. Slow hmm. is also fast, bro. And that's where, and that's where I'm at. So I've been going, it's been a, it's been a very interesting time for me because, you know, I train five, six days a week. I, it's, it's how I've lived my life for a long time. And now I'm not. And, uh, you know, I haven't lost all the muscle that I've been building. I haven't gotten, you know, I haven't put on 25 pounds of fat. With the wisdom you have now, what do you do now? And maybe some practical things for, for dads listening or, or the ladies listening too, because they, they might say, oh, maybe my husband can do this. If you can't move as much, what else do you do to kind of help your health, internal health, emotional, mental health, when you can't have that same level? What do you do now to kind of supplement or add into, or that you do? Well, so something that I think is really, really important to mm-hmm. to mention. So you know, I'm an, I'm an athlete, right? It's it, that, that I I've I have fallen in love with athletics, and and that and that's certainly not for everyone. Walking is arguably one of the greatest forms of movement, if not the greatest all-time form of movement, honestly. Walking is something that when you live in a metropolitan, geographically metropolitan setting, walking is a lot easier to do than if you live in the suburbs or if you live in a rural part of the country. That said, 
just because it's not easy doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. And so I live in a rural part of the country now. I live in upstate New York. I can't walk from my house to my office or to the gym or, you know, I, I have to intentionally schedule a 45 minute walk into my day every day, if not more, because I really do love walking. The, 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 I get very, very similar outcomes for my mental health by just walking 45 minutes as I could in the gym hmm. getting after it for an hour. And so for anybody listening, that's like, yeah, well, you know, like I don't, I don't lift weights or I don't do, you know, I don't run marathons or I don't, if you got out, if you don't walk right now, if walking is just not part of your life, you walk from, you know, your house, your, your front door to your car, your car to the office, your office back to the car, the car back to your house. If that is your, is that, if that, if that is the, the, the extent of your walking, I would put almost everything I own on the fact that if you started walking for a half an hour a day and you did that five days a week, the space that you would create in between your own two ears, the mental clarity, the space, the freedom that you would create would be unbelievable. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it in just 30 minutes of walking a day, five days a week, if you're not walking right now. And so that it is a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful tool. And accessible and it's cheap. It doesn't cost a lot. Right, it's not like it's a lot of money to to do to go outside and walk for half an hour. Some of the research would say that, just as you pointed out, that walking does provide a lot of time to clear your head and reflect and almost problem solve too. There's a, there's a technique of like just go outside and walk for 10, 15 minutes, even that, just to like get out of it and start to come down. For example, if you're having maybe a heated moment with your kids or your spouse or something, and you're kind of getting frustrated, just go and leave and walk. Come back in 10, 15 minutes. It's amazing what you would come back to. Almost, you said it, you're regulating your nervous system, coming down and get some clarity to be like, okay, I'm cooled off. I can now think a little more rationally and be more collected and kind of use my, my inner wisdom to make a better decision here to be more effective. I, I, I had a, I actually, I just have to say this. I, I had a really amazing conversation with a therapist, a child therapist on Wednesday. Today's Friday. And we were, she was actually a guest on my podcast. And she said something to me that was so profound. She said that our children at a young age, infant age, are reading our nervous system. They're reading our, they're incredibly sensitive to our nervous system. I, I had never heard it mm. explained that way, but it makes total sense that they're not able to communicate. So one of their senses is really sort of eliminated. And so they're highly adaptive in other ways because there are beings, they're alive, right? And so their ability to pick up on our body language, they're, I think she said the uh, amygdala, amygdala. Uh, what is that part of the brain? Yeah, the amygdala, which is the amygdala kind of behind brain, yeah. Is, is mm-hmm. constantly scanning. Cues of threat for, or safety. Exactly. And I was like, wow, like that description, because it's so interesting and I don't ever, I mean, I'm a father of two two kids, right? Uh, But I've also had dogs my whole life for the most part. And dogs, you know, if you ever listen to like Caesar Milan, you know, his whole thing is controlling of your posture and your mannerisms and your gestures. In other words, Mm -hmm. your nervous system. How calm are you Mm -hmm. in leading your animal? Because anxiety, any sign of that is going to Mm -hmm. ultimately, it's contagious. It literally, they 
communicate like someone else's nervous system is going to very, very quickly respond yeah. to what your nervous mm -hmm. system is dealing with. And I was like blown yeah. away by that. Let's skip verbal because that part of our brain, our vagal, vagal, vagal nerve, which kind of goes from the bottom of our brain stem down into our heart and back again, which controls, controls our nervous system states, sympathetic, parasympathetic states, fight, flight. That it's always, you're right, it's always scanning. And it's not necessarily, lang now language can modify, but before language, it's tone, body posture, lang it's, this, it's a felt sense. It's kind of in the gut and the body. And so you read the room. And so just like Caesar Miller and the dog, same thing, they pick it up and you don't have to even say a word. Words add, like I said, they can add color or shape, but which is why your kids pick up everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, whether you want them to or not, whether you try and shield them or not, they're going to pick it up. So it's not like a, don't, this, I'm saying this not to freak out, like, oh my gosh, my kids are picking everything up. Scratch that from your head. It's not like you have to be so hyper aware because then you're going to be anxious, but it's more about, are you calm? Are you collected? Because if you come home from a stressful work day, and you walk in the door and you see your kids and you're stressed out, they're going to pick that up. Now, they may not be able to say it with language, Dad, you're stressed. But they're going to pick it up. It's going to impact their nervous system to some degree because they're going to have a, a felt sense of you walking in the room. And so with you, when, when you have those moments with your kids, I'm wondering with that awareness, like when you have an awareness that maybe you're stressed out or having a hard time and you come in and you're at home with your family, anything you do that kind of resets you in the moment, like a quick thing or a couple things that you help you kind of reset and kind of get back to a grounded space? Big time, big time. Mm -hmm. I, I can't say I do it every day, but I would mm -hmm. say probably three to four days a week because it's not every day that I feel like I'm, I'm coming home with, a, with, a, with an intensity or an anxiety mm -hmm. that I'm not happy with. But they're, you know, work energy. I'm the, I'm the CEO of my company. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm constantly juggling, although I've gotten way better at understanding mm -hmm. that I can't get it all done <laughs> in a day. So like I don't, I don't take That's on good. all that anxiety as much as I used to. But every day I get my car mm. at around 5.20 at my office, which is about 20 minutes from my house, 25 minutes from my house. And I drive home. And right as I get to my driveway, I pull my car in enough so that if the kids are running around up at the house, they don't see me. But enough so that I don't <laughs> get hit by cars coming down my, down my road. I, get, I pull into the driveway and I shut my car off. And I take mm. a deep breath, I close my eyes, mm. and I do a breathwork practice. Because about a year and a half ago, I did not have any sort of transitional mm. habits from work to family, work to father, husband, life, because they're very different energies, or at least sure. I'd like them to be very different energies. And a lot of fathers, mothers don't actually have a boundary there or separate that energy. And it's, I think it's really important to do that. And I didn't know that until my son taught mm -hmm. me an invaluable lifelong lesson. And I walked into the house. I was pretty stressed out. I had my phone in my hand just like this. And I was, I was on an email and I was trying to get this email out before dinner. And I knew you know, I was stressing. And my son was talking to me and he was trying to say, hey, dad, hey, dad. And I just walked mm -hmm. into the house. My son was excited to see me. And I had that energy and I looked at him and I said, don't you see I'm doing something? And I caught myself in that moment where my son, you know, children of all age, I, I don't think it ever ends, right? My sons want two things in the world. That's it, really. They want the attention from my wife and my attention. Yeah. They want to me present. to, to yeah. see them. Yeah. That's all they want. They want our attention. They want to feel our love really, when you really boil it down. And so for me, 
I had this flash in my head. I was like, oh my God, the one thing that my son wants, hmm. I'm not giving him because I'm caught up in a yeah. fucking email. Are you serious? Michael, are you serious? Hmm. How could you possibly think that's okay? Wow. And that was the last time that happened. So now I have a transition period in the driveway where I do some breath work. And that breath work typically is either five rounds of box breathing or five rounds, depending on how intense the stress is. Because sometimes, you know, I come home with anxiety, especially this year was a really hard year for me at work. Mm. Like I could feel the anxiety in my chest. And I'll have to do a bit more of an intense breath work cycle, which is like this double inhale, long, slow exhale. And I'll do that five to 10 times. And if I still feel a little above ground with, you know, I will do both of those exercises together. And sometimes it takes three minutes. Sometimes it takes 10. Um, But I will ground myself Hmm. and get back to baseline before I get into that house and as soon as I'm in there, mm. my phone is on airplane mode and wow. um, it's face down on the kitchen counter. And I don't pick it up wow. for two and a half hours until they're asleep. I thank you for that, the very practical breath work. And I, yeah, I know those breath work exercises. I do them as well. And I teach them to most, if not all my clients. And I, I think it's so practical that taking that extra, you know, three minutes can make a world of difference when you walk in that home, you know, three to five, which is not that much time to kind of ground yourself. But... I think the thing I heard that really stood out to me and I'm hearing your story is that you had in a realization with your son that maybe triggered your own, you tell me, I'm just guessing here hypothetically, but uh, hypothetically, but I'm getting a sense that in a way that what you needed from your father or when you're staying in that room after you cut your wrists, you needed his attention. Maybe that part of you got, you felt that pain when your son needed you in the email. hundred mm. percent ripped yeah. open that really, trouble for me. Cause yeah. what I wanted from my father is just him to be present to see it and to like be present and have his attention. And I'm, I'm doing yeah. this and I am not doing that. And what shifted for you was now the beautiful thing is you, you heard that message loud and clear and you're like, no, I'm present with my kids. I'm going to give the gift of presence in a way, healing that part of myself, that child that needed it from my father and giving it to them. And I get to see that every day of giving that and seeing the impact it has on my kids' lives. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, I mean, when I when I really when I really <laughs> opened the floodgates, you know, mm. I wanted my father's approval. Yeah, I never got it. He's dead, you mm. know. Um, I never got it, but yeah. but I battled with a lot of things, you know, and even you know, I mean, I'm I've, I'm the founder of a number of companies. I've sold companies. I've built companies. I've you know, I've I've had a lot. I've done a lot of things, and I honestly, there is. I have a drive and an ambition that was developed because I believe, because I don't believe I'm ever going mm-hmm. to get my father's approval. And so I need to constantly, and I'm aware of this, but I, I constantly am in pursuit mm. of better. And, you know, my father comes to visit me in my dreams. And um, it's really interesting. And I don't want to say this and like people be like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> but that's yeah. that that's that's actually the truth. Um, my, my, I've had a number mm. of conversations with my father in my dreams that have awarded me the that's approval amazing. that I've been after, you know. And um, when that awesome. happens, I journal about it. And uh, it's pretty cool. What we do in EMDR is very similar to that. You imagine a different outcome and that can have a very healing, powerful physiological mm. effect on your body, on your mind and on your soul. There's some of the things we do, but essentially that sounds very, to me, like 
again, I'm a trained clinician who does this, so I'm like, oh, that sounds like totally like kind of what I do. But anyone else might think, oh, this is like hocus pocus stuff. I'm like, no, actually, the power of healing what the mind and body can do, whether it happened or not, the mind, it doesn't, the brain doesn't determine whether it's true or if you imagine it happening because your physiological response is the same. Yeah, I woke up very happy. You know, that, that I had that conversation and this actually, this dream, I had a, a, a recent dream, which was really weird because I don't play golf. I got invited to go play around the golf that I had. I hadn't swung a golf club okay. in f- 30 years. And the night before I went to play golf, mm. I had a dream of my father. Now it could be because I could, I, it could be that I had a dream of my, about my father and he had come and had a conversation with me and he told me how mm. happy he was with my success, but it could be that I was playing a game of golf and because it reminded me of him potentially, that's that's why yeah. I had a dream about him. Who knows? But I will tell you that I woke up and I felt like I had had a conversation with my father who had been who's been dead for 22 years. That went well. Uh, wow. And he told me he wow. was happy with me. That's a yeah. It was, it was a good chat. And it's amazing what the what the how the yeah. how the body can find healing. And as I'm thinking about mm-hmm. this, as we uh, come about to come to a close here, because I'm aware of the time. You know, your journey, you know, in the, the short time that we've had this conversation, the journey from a kid who desperately just wanted attention from his father, who got found a, found a path to, to get out of it and find safety through a different, different type of movement, I would say, but still movement nonetheless, then found himself 19 years ago in a place of needing a different type of movement, found that, coming all the way back to then that story of your son, of the recognition of what it, really coming back to like where it all started was just connection and attention from your parent from your dad, from your mom, and then able to give that to your kid and be present and finding healing in that, 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 that's what said to me is like, I've had to like, you know, put a book in on it. It's like, you know, you said to yourself at the very beginning, movement saved your life. And I would hearing the story, I'm like, yeah, I totally did. That movement got you not only saved your life, but got you to a place of giving your life away in a way that's powerful for your kids and a way healing them, that generational curse, whatever you want to call it, trauma from the past of like, you get to give such an amazing gift to your kids. So the one they're telling a story, maybe one day on a podcast, <laughs> it'll be very different. It'll be like, no, my dad was there. He, hmm. I felt loved and connected to my father. And that's a, such an incredible gift, man. The, the, the cool thing, the cool thing about you just saying that the feeling that I just got is hmm. I'm confident that that's what they would say. I'm confident. You know, I mean, they're sure. going to say that they run, they, they, they definitely, <laughs> they definitely lean on their mom for, uh, for cuddling, even though I'm a good cuddler, but they're, you know, but, but I am, I, mm. I'm proud to say I'm a great father, you know, and, um, I don't think anybody would have really put that on me after seeing what it was like in my, for my, in my childhood. And then ultimately mm. what my teenage years and early twenties looked like. So even that piece well, no. I mean, it's my greatest. It's my greatest accomplishment. What a way to end the show, man. Where can we find you? Where, if people are looking to get, you know, you, you know, you're the CEO, of Creatures of Habit, and some other things. Where can people find your stuff? Yeah, you could just find me on uh, okay. on um, Instagram. Is really where I'm most active at Michael Chernow. I'm also pretty active on TikTok, but Instagram and TikTok really are where I'm active. I share a lot about my life experience. You know, I, I, I I've gone through, you know. A couple of different uh, journeys in the world of social media, but I made a decision a few years ago to really not focus as much on my my uh, my fitness and nutrition mm. stuff and really focus on sort of my mindset stuff because I hope to be of service. Me mm. being of service has, has truly been where when I am in service, yeah. I am at my best. 
And, and so instead of trying to show people my eight pack, yeah. you know what I mean? On, on mm. social media, I share about stories that I think could potentially touch mm. one person a day, you know? And, um, and so that's what I've been doing on social. So you can check me out there. Creatures of Habit is with a K. It's the company that uh, I'm currently running. And, uh, you know, if you're in New York City and you want to grab a good bite to eat, you can mm. go check out the Meatball Shop as a business I launched a bunch of years ago. And then if you feel like having a good fish taco, mm. there's a bunch of restaurants called Seymour's in New York City uh, that, that are York. seafood spots. I'm a little far away to spots. grab any of that food. But <laughs> if I ever am, I will, I will stop by. Mike, Michael, man, it's been – I really appreciate your vulnerability and just strength and just sharing your story and the impact you're having and your heart and your, and your care and your, and your passion and just for being on here today even though you had a long 48 hours, I appreciate it. So blessings to you and your family and for a wonderful evening with your family. And uh, if anyone looking for some inspiration, go check them out. All the links will be in the bio and the description. Everything to find him will be, they'll be clickable. And until then, man, have a great night. Thanks for joining and listening today. Please leave a comment and review the show. Dads are tough, but not tough enough to do this fatherhood thing alone.